Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. Have you ever wanted to walk where Jesus walked? to see the very places he called home while on this earth? Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, did just that recently, and he's here to share what he learned along the way. Lincoln, where do we begin? That's the open-ended question, isn't it? <laughs> Genesis. <laughs> yeah, Genesis, yes. <laughs> no, but all of it's present in the, as they say, the Holy Land, yes, yes. which is largely Israel, although a lot of biblical sites go into Iraq and, and Syria and other places. And when you talk the New Testament, you can go up into Turkey and, and places like that. But uh, the tour that I came back, just came back from, for the second time was was a tour down under the auspices of Three Angels Broadcasting Network. Mm-hmm. And what that meant was I already knew that it was going to be a fantastic tour. <laughs> <laughs> One of the highlights of that particular tour is the guide. His name is Cartier, Malcolm Cartier. And just before this program, I went online just to see what he's put there. And there was a fantastic video of him promoting the tour of the Holy Land. And he was holding the Bible that I remembered much from our tour, rather tattered with his own cover on it, I think. But he holds it up and he says, this book is not dead, this is alive. Come with me and you'll find out for yourself. The black and white of the pages will turn into real color of real life as you see these places. And that's really true. Yes. As you go to the, the land of Israel, which is in the modern geopolitical context is ground zero. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Even the thing in Syria is just across the border, literally within uh, eyesight of the Golan Heights there. And that part of the world from the beginning has been uh, the point of much conflict. And I think myself, while Armageddon is a little more than just a physical one-location battle, I think it's probably going to be the flashpoint for some of the final events of world history. Mm. And we did, of course, visit the ancient city of Megiddo that is next to the plain of Armageddon. Now, you have been there several times. For someone in our listening audience, Lincoln, who has never been there, what is the, the biggest shock for you when you step off the airplane and you start looking around at, at this holy land? What impressed you immediately and the most? Jerusalem itself has, as they say, is a built-up neighborhood. <laughs> but uh, overall, the shocking thing, uh, even up in the north near the Golan Heights, but when you get down to the Dead Sea, is you realize this is almost pure desert. There's not much there. Yeah. Bare rocks, you can look at entire mountain ranges, and, and there's not an obvious tree to be seen. As Malcolm, our guide, once said, you know, he said, the Lord promised us a land flowing with milk and honey, he says. Look what we got. (laughs) (laughs) He gestured towards the hills on that occasion above Masada. They're as dry and bare as the face of the moon. Mm -hmm. And he says what God didn't tell us is that we need to work it and produce those things ourselves. Oh, wow. What a wonderful lesson right off the bat there. When God makes promises, he doesn't say, here it is. He says, here's how to make it happen. Am I right? Right. And some of the the things that we associate with that part of the world, the dates and the pomegranates and and grapes and so on, Malcolm pointed out something very true. Those things are naturally present there, but unless they're cultivated, they won't Mm -hmm. produce. Mm -hmm. 
Like wild versions of those things are not going to give you anything to eat. So you have to invest yourself in it. And God's people coming originally with Abraham and his descendants and then right through to the end of the major biblical history of the destruction of Jerusalem, you know, they had to work it. They had to fight for it. And it's a little bit more debatable now with the return because those people are Jewish, but the the ethnic link is not as plain as many people imagine. But those that have come back, you know, they see this as their promised land, and they've got to, again, invest themselves into it. As unfriendly as the ecology might be and as unfriendly as the neighborhood surely is, you have to admire people there that are harking back to the biblical promises and trying to make that land flowing with milk and honey again. Now, Lingan, of course, the centerpiece of all of this area is the city of Jerusalem. When you looked at it, when you studied it, when you experienced it, are we looking at religious freedom at its best or religious freedom at its worst? I don't quite know the worst, but it's surely not the best. <laughs> yes. The classic view you get from uh, another side of the valley as you come in towards the old city, mm-hmm. and the tour buses stop, and everyone gets out and gawks and looks over. And there on an, on the other side of the valley, on a slightly lower high hill, there's the, the city, most distinguished by the, the destroyed foundations of the Herod's temple, the Jewish temple. And sitting on it, shining in great splendor, is the uh, Muslim Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is quite impressive, but the real color is the golden dome of it's actually a church that the Crusaders erected, but again, this is a Muslim holy place erected over the rock, supposedly where Abraham sacrificed his son, or was to sacrifice his son, and where Muhammad came in his night trip, which is interesting because it's sort of a dream that they've made reality, yes. and, and where Jesus is predicted to return and his feet break the mount open. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a spectacular city when you see it, but it's fraught with history brought with history. And that crown sits not very comfortably on the brow there. We're, we're talking, like you say, a city fraught with conflict. How do they make it work? Why does it seem to work in Jerusalem, but it won't work in other parts of the Middle East? Well, almost anything you say on Israel can be disputed by someone else. But, mm-hmm. you know, I can give my opinion, and, and from the point of a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, and also working with religious liberty, I don't think it works very well in Jerusalem. I think there's a uh, truce that's in place because of power. Mm-hmm. I think Israel's control of the country is undisputed. So it's only rarely that the Palestinians rise up in intifadas, as they call them. Although while we were there, there was a spate of, of random stabbings at yes. bus stops and other places, which yes. is probably not a great threat, but a, a sign of just pent-up frustration from people living in that area, and they feel, from their perspective, with some justification, they've been dispossessed of their land. And uh, again, only a few uh, weeks before we were there, there was some violence at the Al-Aqsa Mosque. There was stabbings and weapons brought there, and so it was off limits for us when we were there. Mm-hmm. Although most tour groups don't tend to go to the mosque, I don't know why, or the mm-hmm. Dome of the Rock. Mm-hmm. But no, I don't think it works. And uh, I think one of the possibilities in the future, which has all sorts of other implications, is that it may be declared some sort of a an international religious city, and perhaps a figure like the Pope of Rome could be installed there to sort of guarantee its religious sanctity, but yet 
in essence, be another one of the conquering religious forces. I was going to say, and this is just like the time of Christ, when the Romans were there sort of calling the shots. Right. No, I don't think it's an easy truce between uh, the Muslim places and and the Christian ones. And I remember one of the days we went to the Church of the Nativity, which is in a square in Bethlehem. Across the other side of the square is the Muslim mosque. And all the different religious groups were pilgrimaging to the Nativity Church, which is sort of divvied up between Eastern Orthodox and Catholics and I think Copts and others. But there's about four divisions of Christianity sharing the spot. But across the plaza, here's the mosque with the super-duper high-powered ancient projectile speakers, (laughs) megaphone speakers here. They're yowling and trumpeting Allah and all sorts of exhortations to worship the Islamic way. So it's sort of a battle of of words, if nothing else, at this point. By the way, just so our listeners can learn a shock that most people who visit there learn, how long did it take you to drive from Jerusalem to Bethlehem? Five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Five minutes. That's about right. People are shocked to know how close together many of these places really are. It's about maybe an hour from the Galilee, upper Galilee to Jerusalem. Yes, yes. And I don't think more than uh, three or four hours from one tip to the other, and crosswise, very short, maybe uh, 45 minutes to an hour. No, this is a little country, and even greater Israel, small as it is, is pockmarked by all sorts of exclusions in the West Bank and Gaza Strip and so on. It's a totally unworkable country that happens to work. Yes, yes. (laughs) That's what they say about America. America really shouldn't work, but it does for some strange reason. No, in the modern sense, it's worth seeing just to... uh, to get an insight into the the cobbled together political expediencies that have been required after any number of wars and continuing threat. Of course, Syria is very preoccupied with the civil war, but it doesn't mean the the threat is absent. When we were looking out over the uh, Golan Heights towards Syria, the guide pointed out on the other side, we could see the UN uh, compound, which guarantees the peace, uh, and next to it was a Syrian village, And he said that only a few weeks earlier, they'd been standing there with another group looking over, and suddenly there's a great puff of smoke and the mosque just collapses. It's been blown up by the ISIS or um, Daesh, as they call it in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. It's a term derived from an acronym from the uh, Islamic name of the group. And Daesh hated so much that they've said anybody using it will have their tongue cut out. Because they like for people to say Islamic State, see, which is what they're trying to establish. What really just shocks me is how familiar all of this would sound to Christ. If he were to stand where you stood and went where you went 2,000 years after he was there the first time, the names have changed, the, the weapons are different, but the underlying problems are identical. And that, of course, reverberates with religious freedom, wouldn't you say, Lincoln? The subtext of 
what was going on during Jesus' ministry was the zealots and their uh, uh, rebellion against the occupying Romans. Yes. And Jesus himself was taken by many people to be a revolutionary leader who would help throw off the Romans by force. One or more of his disciples was zealots. And, and you can't read, or you shouldn't read, the closing moments of Jesus' ministry and his trial and crucifixion without keeping in mind this political struggle. That's what gives it meaning. I mean, not theological meaning, but it gives it historical meaning. That clearly was what was happening. There was an agitation in the temple. This was presumed to be a zealot uprising and a threat to uh, Rome. Time goes by and not a whole lot changes. Well, our time is up for this program, but I want to continue this discussion next time, Lincoln. We're talking with Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, about his recent trip to the Holy Land. That's what people call it, the Holy Land. And we'll talk more with him next time. Lincoln, thank you so much for being with us today. Appreciate it. My pleasure. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Lincoln Steed inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. If you'd like more information about LifeQuest Liberty, call Three Angels Broadcasting Network at 618-627-4651 or email us through our website at 3abn.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of liberty burning in your heart today. Today.